Welcome to the session on the 11th of May 2019. We've just done a little session on OM. The recitation of the three parts are OM leading up to the top. And now we're feeling very calm and very okay. Um, great. So this week I was in Melbourne and I went to visit a guy called Bob, Sailor Bob. And he is a very old guy that... Um, He's 90. Yeah. He went, he started, I think, well, when we first... Well, we actually didn't know him at the time, but he was living in the ashram where we were staying in India in the 70s. And he, I think, left just before we got there. But in your case, he might still have been around, mm. but you didn't recognize him. Mm. Anyway, long story short, <coughs> he absconded to be with another master called Nisargadatta Maharaj, who is a, what they call an Advaita Vedantan, or just an Advaitin. And Bob, um, over the years, became very, very accomplished in the practice of the art of being present to the point where he's acknowledged as a fully awakened individual and so people now come to visit him from all over the world and he's mm -hmm. the most unassuming guy and did we play a little bit of him last week yeah so i said i was going to go see him so we went and i took my friend krish and joy and malcolm who have known him for a long time and we sat with him and he does this thing in his lounge room just like this and they're about the same number of people. And he get, he does his standard spiel, which goes for about 35 minutes. And it's on non-dual uh, non reality, but the nature of mind. And I mean, it's very good to listen to on YouTube. You, and basically he's done the same program over and over again every week for years. He doesn't say anything different, but it's not about what he's saying as much as it's the, I don't know, the power of the truth and contained in what comes out. And he gives, and he says, he starts off by saying, we're not here to tell you anything and we're not here to teach you anything. We're here in what, I'm paraphrasing now, he'll say, all we provide you is with a few pointers. And if you look at where you're pointing, at where we're pointing, you might see it for yourself. See, so it's the complete, he's the anti-guru in the sense that he's not it's not like this, I'm going to fill your head with knowledge and practices. It's basically, I'm going to give you the opportunity to empty your head of knowledge and practices. And when you empty, and thoughts and everything else, and when you empty your mind of all these constructs that are ultimately just creations of mind, what is left? And then you just, and, you, and, and then you think. It's sort of like a Zen thing. But the mind stops because there's no answer to any of this. Stop asking the questions. So you, you do the analysis until there are no more questions, and then you just look, and then you just stop. Like if I just stop now. And you feel the power of the silence in just the presence of no words. And we couldn't talk. I reckon for about three minutes after he stopped talking, no one could, 
No one could say, there was nothing you could say. That's the power of the process. So he'll say stuff like, what is mind? What are thoughts? Aren't they just, isn't it just energy? Isn't it just vibration? What is all this? Isn't it just energy in the form of matter? It's all temporary. So you just keep going through and he'll throw a hundred pointers at you through this 35 minute talk. And every time you, you'll get to a point where there'll be a moment where the self-evident truth of what's been said emerges and it completely disarms the mind. And so you're getting hits of this sense of very powerful presence and it's your own experience. He's not giving you anything. It's like he's just, it's a form of mental jujitsu where he disarms you, right? You, you get disarmed for long enough that you get an experience of the power of just the now, the power of the now. That's what Advaita is. And so he wrote, he's written a few books. This one's called Presence Awareness. Just this and nothing else. So that's basically, <coughs> excuse me, the whole premise is that the only reality is this. What we, what's happened is this sense of existence of being in this moment. That's the only thing you can ever be 100% certain about is that you exist. And it's only true in this moment. You get a sense of this, what we're saying? And he says you would not doubt your existence. You can doubt anything else. Something someone told you, something you heard, something you saw, something you read, even something that you may have remembered as a memory. But none of those things are real in the sense that none of those things are being directly, the truth of contained within them is not directly encountered. So you can't be certain of them. So he says, well then what, and so it's almost a process of negation. They call it the eight, uh, eight negations of um, Naga, Naga, what's his name? Is it Naga Rupa? Anyway, these are the negations. Can I be sure of this? Can I be sure of that? And he goes through eight aspects of being and you eliminate all of them one at a time. And what are you left with? What can I be sure of? And the only thing you can be sure of is that I exist. You don't even know if I exist. I could just be a hallucination. I could just be a projection of your mind. Right? This is the level at which they take this analysis. So do you know that I exist? I appear to exist, but how do you know you're not dreaming? So we go into a whole discussion about the dream state, which is, and I've done the recording from last week, so if you want, I'll put it up on um, SoundCloud and you can listen to it. It is the most fantastic, not only what he said, but then what everyone else said in response. Ask your questions. You, you listen to it tomorrow, yeah, there are oh, questions yeah. and then there are, it is like, whoa. You were talking this afternoon about the Satchitananda. Yeah. He was explaining. 
Okay, so here's one aspect, right? I'll, I'll, before I say that, I'll say he talks about Nama Rupa. That's an Indian uh, Hindu or Sanskrit concept. Nama is name and Rupa means form. So he's saying this whole material existence, this creation, is uh, only experienced in our mind as name or form. So when we look at the jug, we are apprehending its existence as form, right? But he's saying the form is not real. It's an illusion, and this is where it gets pretty sort of esoteric, that he's saying that this is an illusion in the sense that what we see with our senses is not the true nature of that jug. What that jug is actually is basically vibrating energy. At the, if, if in its truest nature what it actually is, is atoms and molecules and subatomic particles that are just vibrating and, and interacting with each other to create a momentary experience which we call jug. Right? Now, if you're in the frame, and this is where it gets a little hard, <coughs> and I told him that I talked to you guys about this, and I say that everyone says to me, but how can that be? Because the real, the illusion is so compelling. It's pretty hard to tell someone that's not what it is. That's in this, within the same frame of that existence, everything seems real, doesn't it? But what he's saying is if you move outside of the frame of this limited mind-body, and you can comprehend this in its most fundamental state, it's just energy. And the other thing is names, so we give things names, we label things. And so what he's saying is we're conditioning our entire experience on these constructs that we create that give a sign name and form. And he's saying none of that's real, it's all just part of this maya, this illusion. So this is, they're very big on this concept in, in um, Advaita of, of illusion the illusory nature of things and the dreamlike nature of things. <clears throat> and really what they're saying is the, the way that you can prove that is because nothing lasts. <coughs> Everything is transient. And the, the big premise, that's the, the, the axiom that they state is that that which is real never dies. That that which is real is permanent, never changes. That which is unreal never existed. Does that mean we're unreal or just our body? Is that a mind-body, us as mind-body is not real. But what about, oh, yeah. Consciousness is, the one aspect of us that is unchanging is consciousness. Mm. Our pure awareness of being. Mm. And, and, and then the proof of that, because they go through quite methodically. I mean, I'm not doing a very good job here because if you're not convinced yet, then I've obviously failed. <laughs> But the point is, if you listen to him, you'll be more convinced because he does a better job of it. But the basic idea is that that aspect of you that feels like you, the you-ness, my me-ness, your you-ness, uh, that sense that you have of your continuing existence that has never changed since you were a child, is the only aspect of you that is unchanging. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So, if, you get it? So if I ask you to go back and imagine yourself as an eight-year-old and, and you've got your eyes closed and there you are in your eight-year-old body and I say, are you you? Get a sense, grab hold of a sense of your you-ness, of your existence. Grab it. Doesn't it feel exactly the same yeah. as a sense of your, your you-ness now? 
that hasn't changed and it won't change until you die right up until then and then they'd say even after that death mind body falls away but it's the awareness of existence as consciousness never changes that's who we really are that's the only reality according to the Advaita and that's the thing you should be identifying with stop identifying with mind body as this moving image on a screen and isn't it crazy that we do because we're changing all the time <coughs> he says that even when you walk in this room from the, the time you walk in and the time you leave you're not even in the same body thousands of cells are dying in every second and being re replaced so it's not constant the sense of constancy is illusory it's a trick of the mind that, that we we need to do to survive in this world we have to have that sense do you want to flick that heater on Jan it's right behind you or film so this this need to feel that this is real is has a purpose that you wouldn't survive in the real in this world if you didn't have that so you have to believe you know that I use that analogy that you're crossing the road and there's a truck coming down the road you have to believe in that sense of separation and the and the reality of the truck or you'd just walk in front of it so at that level there's no we're not we're not arguing against the apparent reality within this frame of relative existence of things so we're not asking you to abandon that idea because that'd be that'd be too much of a stretch for anybody to have to abandon that sense that if I hit you over the head with a baseball bat it's going to hurt there's no argument about that but what he's saying is that isn't the only part of the story there's another aspect of this which is more interesting actually and that is this what is this aspect of us that doesn't change and he's saying start to connect with that let that be and he says he uses things like he'll say um, uh, investigate investigate that that idea investigate this this go go further and uh, inquire mm. inquire who is the one that's inquiring yeah who asks the question what is that mm. then you go what is that that sees what is that intelligence that consciousness that hears these words mm. inquire into the nature of that inquire into the nature of that which um, experiences this world what is its nature you see what I'm doing and you go into that inquiry and this is this vichara or self-inquiry the more that you inquire into the nature of things he says you not just him the Sargadatta his teacher all of these but Advaitans say the more that you inquire into the nature of the things you will see that there is nothing there the more that you inquire into the nature of who is the inquirer you'll see that there is a sublime power and truth in that experience and that's that's your true nature so be with that and so then then it gets really scary for all the yogis that have done practices and techniques <laughs> right because then they say even the techniques are illusory even the practices are not it right even the mantra is not it even you know what you read in these books is not it he says I can point to things but even that's not right it's an approximation we use words because we have language and that's how we convey meaning 
But even that isn't it. Because the state is beyond words. And we can only perceive what senses we've got as human beings, we can't. Exactly. And he's saying, but those senses are not giving you the full picture. When, mm. And he talks about birds having a better sense of hearing or sight than humans, so that we're only capturing a small part of the spectrum <coughs> of reality. And, and it serves its purpose within the frame in which we operate. It's good enough, but it's not everything. And what about, this always tripped me out as a child, um, anim certain animals, maybe even dogs, can see colours we've never seen before. Right. And then the whole concept of imagine a colour you've never seen and you can't. Yeah. That really like blows my mind. Yeah. So you're a natural. Yeah. <laughs> you've got it already. That's the, that's the lines of, of investigation that he asks us to inquire, mm. to follow. Is, um, and, then he, and then the other thing is, and Eckhart Tolle does this really well, <coughs> and this is sort of um, the, the eight negations of Nagarupa. So if you took away, you start to eliminate things within your life. Imagine if you didn't have your car, would you still be you? Mm. Answer yes. If you didn't have this, if you didn't have that, if you didn't have your education, if you didn't have your self-concept, would you still be you? And when he's saying you, he's saying this sense of I-ness this sense of existence, would that still be there? If you didn't have, uh, you know, your job, your role, if you didn't have all your attributes, all the things you're good at, would you still be you? Yeah. And even people with, say, disabilities that don't have, like they can't maybe talk or perceive or whatever, they're still them. Absolutely. And I, my, um, last week we were talking about that and I postulated, I think, that even people that have Alzheimer's disease, advanced dementia, I think the last thing to ever leave you before you die, and probably it doesn't even leave, if you believe in the persistence of awareness beyond death, that never leaves. They would still, they might lose all their memories, all their capacity to reason, all their speech, everything, but they were sitting there in their eyeness. Can't be erased. Or their oneness. Their oneness. Isn't it ironic that that sounds horrible but could actually be really quite nice? That is the ultimate. <laughs> they're actually sitting in the ultimate state. That thought has passed through my mind. So as yeah. you get older and dementia starts to set in, remember these words. Yeah. That it's okay, it's going to be, everyone else will be freaking out. Yes. Because yes. you'll be looking like the vegetable. Yeah. But you're actually in the this state of yeah. Satchit Ananda. Now this yeah. is the thing okay, that Bob then... <coughs> so in all these yogic... Um, texts, not all of them, but a lot of them, when they ask to inquire into the nature of this consciousness, into this state of pure being, what is it? And, and what is one, its what, yeah, and one level they say it can't be described because it's beyond words. But if you had to give it words, it has three aspects: sat, which means truth, S-A-T, sat, truth. And I'll, I'll unpack these in a minute. Chit, C-H-I-T, which means consciousness. So truth, consciousness, and ananda is bliss, absolute. So they're saying that in this state of just being, if you were to connect with just that, if you go deep into the, its nature of this state of ananda, that's what you would experience, is a sense of... Now, now let's look at what that means. Truth means the truth of your existence 
you can't negate this this is where you point get to the point where you've negated everything and this is what you're left with is the state and the state he's saying is it has the attributes of truth consciousness and this absolute so truth means you're in this state of meanness and and it is true you can't negate it the fact that you exist Chit is the awareness of the truth of the state. I'm not, I try not to get too technical here, but you are aware. Not only is it true, but you are aware that it's true. So that attribute of being aware of it, like when I say, become aware of your being right now, that's, all you, that's what you're doing. You're aware of the truth of your existence. Does that seem authentic to you? Um, what about when you're asleep, though? Ah, I'll, that's a good question. I'll, let me park that one for a minute. I want to just finish the Ananda. So the Ananda is the third aspect of that. Now, when they say bliss absolute, what Bob says, because I, I've had problems with this myself, it's like sometimes I will feel very, in this very connected state. But it doesn't actually feel like, ha-ha, blissful, like I'm going to go and, you know, run down the road waving my arms, bliss. It feels like a different, a deeper mm. sense. And what he says is, it's not actually bliss in the sense that we might describe bliss. It's more, what he says, the love of, of life, the love of being in that moment where you feel your existence. See if you can pick this up. So you go into the state of, I exist right now. And see if you can pick up an aspect of it which is, and it feels good. There's like a sense of exaltation or reveling. Are you getting that? The sense of the reveling of just the joy of being? It's almost inspiring. Isn't that great? And it's very powerful. So that's such is an under. And not because of anything external. Mm -hmm. There's no Beautiful. such thing. Thank there's you. That's nothing. There's no ending to that. There's no object of because you feel that there's nothing there. It's just yep. of itself. Yeah, and that's another way of saying that is it requires no foundation, no prop to exist. Mm -hmm. It exists independent of cause. Right? This is nice. Because normally everything's got to have a reason. And then we have a whole discussion about the meaning of things. And he wipes that all away and says nothing has a meaning. Things just, this just is. It's only mind. And we have this great discussion in this recording about, we talk about this desire for the mind to hook in and then say, but why this and why that and why this and why that? And, and really he's saying in the Advaita um, realm, in the, Advaita means non-dual. I should have said that at the beginning. Dve is the Sanskrit root syllable for two. And the word duo in Latin, dual, comes from dve, because Sanskrit is a root language. It's proto-Indo-European before. So the Indo-Indo-Indological languages and the European languages all derive from the root language, Sanskrit. 
So we have words, so that's an example. Dve is dual, so it's easy to remember. Art, when you put art in front of it, you negate it. The same as saying when something is symmetrical or asymmetrical, it's the opposite. Harmony, oh no, what's, it, what's another A word? A. Hmm? Atypical. Atypical. Typical, atypical. So it's the same construction. So in Sanskrit, it's the same deal if you put art in front of it. So, um, uh, so therefore, Advaita, um, non-dual, or how, how Bob says it, one without a second. Because when he says, if you just said one, that implies that there could be another. So they go the extra length just to emphasize that it is only one and it can only be one. It's one without a second. That's like the term asexual, people who don't have yeah, partners. That's just... an example, yeah. Yeah. So Advaita, the whole Advaita school theory um, is predicated on this idea that consciousness is all there is which is consistent with what we do in other forms of yoga is the same kind of idea. Whether you, there's different ways of arriving at it. This is just another way, another path, another truth, mm. or another uh, school, you can Some say. Some people really get it, get it immediately. Yeah, um, but it's threatening to other people, other forms of yoga, where there's a lot of practices and there's a lot of you know tradition techniques. and all of that. Yeah. And you'll eventually get to that same point of just everything is consciousness mm. and it might be a more colorful you know engaging for the mind but the advaitans are much more hardcore they just say why bother with all that just go straight to the experience right now why why go through that long circuitous journey or the yogis the other bhaktis or whatever the the, the, the bhaktis are the devotional you know like the Hare krishnas run around and they're chanting and they're in this and that's devotional and that's a yoga and that will get them eventually to the ego will fall away ego will fall away when ego falls away what's left this state the non-dual state pure consciousness or you can get there through jnana yoga which is a yoga of uh, logic and argument and analysis and it's the same thing you go and, and it's like is it this is it this is it this and you're using your logical faculties and the nine, you could say, in fact, the, the eight uh, negations of Nagarupa. Is it Nagarupa? I've got to just make sure I get his name right. But they lead you to the same conclusion, but you're using mind logic. You see what I'm saying? But you all end up in the same place. <coughs> um, what's another yoga, Kalyani? Uh, Raja yoga. Yeah, and what's that? Hatha yoga. <laughs> Hatha yoga. Nagarjuna. There we are. Nagarjuna. Yeah. <coughs> Wait on, I'll get you a blanket. Sorry. <laughs> Next time I'll be more prepared. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be able to make it straight mm -hmm. from netball. Oh, well done. Thank you. you. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um. So that those are the negations. So, but the Advaita state is just this pure state of non-dual existence. And the principal text, one of them, well, there's two actual um, 
proponents. This was the first one, Ram, uh, Ramana Maharshi, who was a young boy in um, a place called, was it Arunachala? Yeah. Was that where he was born or was that where his ashram ended up? Yeah, anyway, it was in South India and he was last century, beginning of last century. And he had an experience when he was about 15 or 16 where he went in his bedroom and meditated and everything just fell. The whole universe just dissolved and he was in this state of the non-dual state. And then he became a very great proponent for this line of reasoning of the negation of all mind, thought, my illusion. And then um, then we talked about Nisargadatta, which is this guy here, who was in Mumbai in the 70s. 60s and 70s uh, and we some people used to skip out of the ashram where we were staying and go and secretly visit him because we weren't meant to wag school as it were and Bob was one of those people because he was staying there and he would go and see him and eventually he ended up being he, he one lived of his, for 12 months with this man yeah and he told me when they both left when he left to leave him they were both crying even though see the thing with Nisargadatta He's very cutting. He will, he's one of these teachers that just cuts through, cuts through, and he's very. It's very can be quite aggressive and quite confronting. Um, yeah, confronting, and and so a lot of people find Advaita as being too in your face. It's pretty. And he will say something like, "What makes you think that you're anything?" You know, what makes you think you even exist? That kind of stuff. And A some high-ranking businessman or something. Yeah, he's going for your ego, mm. and he's trying yeah. to deconstruct everything that you think that you are. And I mean, it's powerful and it's transformative, but some people can't take it, so they go back to the softer path. <laughs> I'm just going to chant, you know, do the Guru Gita and meditate, and and that'll be. But this is a faster path if you can take the heat. This is they call this direct path because it's um because it doesn't give you any, it doesn't leave you with anywhere to go. Once and you start way, that there's process, a, a, there's a a middle way that some people can have where they're doing their spiritual practices, but this is like a companion practice as well, where say that they've done their meditation or chanting <coughs> and then they can sit and adopt what he's teaching, just becoming in the state, like letting everything drop away. <coughs> Although, i got to say, Bob, the other night, when we were talking about meditation, he, he'll have none of that. Mm. So, in fact, the two are kind of incompatible. So he doesn't meditate? No. But he's in the state. He's in that state. He's in yeah, but what he's saying is, continually bring the awareness back to the question, who am I? In everything that you do, in every moment, who, who is it that does this? So but you still it, have to function. I know, and this is why Advaita is not for everybody. Because the, but, because the mind, the egoic mind is saying, but, 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 like, like you just did then, yeah. And he's saying, no buts, this is it. This is the raw truth. It's never going to change, right? Um, he told me a joke. In fact, there's two versions of this joke. Um, a disciple goes to a teacher and says, tell me the nature of truth, of reality. And he goes, you are that. 
And the young, the guy goes, well, that just seems too simple. It couldn't be that obvious. So he goes down the road to the other teacher and he says, will you take me on as a disciple? And he goes, yeah. He goes, where have you been? And he goes, um, well, I've been up the road with this other guy, but he just told me I am that. <laughs> and it's like, and the teacher goes, okay, here's a broom. Just, I want you to sweep the ashram for, for the next 12 years. That's your job. And as you're sweeping, I want you to reflect on this const- this question of who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And uh, eventually, after 12 years, he gets the realisation that he is he is truly that. No, he goes back to the... No, no, wait. That's the, <laughs> that's my, that's the oh, second version. Okay. No, you, you can't... That's, the joke killer. No, <laughs> That's the that's the alternative joke. Ah. The, the joke, how Bob told it was, he's sweeping for 12 years and over the course of that time, he comes, he gets the full realisation that he is truly that, as in he is just consciousness, right? And then I said to Bob, well, have you heard the other variation of that? And he goes, no, what's that? And I said, well, <coughs> after 12 years of working in the ashram, he goes to the teacher and goes, Okay, I've done my 12 na- years, now you have to tell me the secret. <laughs> and then the, the teach and the, go- the guy goes, okay, you are that. <laughs> and he goes, but that's what the other guru told me 12 years ago. <laughs> and this guru goes, well, the truth hasn't changed in 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> so you can pick which version of that you like best. <laughs> but that's, that's basically what they're on about. This is the Advaita non-dual tradition is question at a deep level not intellectually but go when you're meditating you know when we do yoga nidra and you take that the sankalpa that intention in one of the sankalpas that you can do if you really want to get into this and i recommend you try it because it is really it will you'll move really quickly you progress although bob would say there's no movement because there's nowhere to go because there is no journey because you're already there (laughs) okay so this is my spin on that. If you're doing ape... But we're there, but we don't see it. Right. If you decide that you want to not take... If you want to take the scenic route and do the practices <laughs> and you want to do yoga nidra um, and you go into yoga nidra and you're going into the state, you carry the question, take the question as the intention. Who am I? But don't do it as like a, who am I, you know, like, am I, do it as a, as a powerful inquiry, that you want the answer to reveal itself at the deepest level, because the answer will not come to you as a thought or an idea, it will come to you as an experience, suddenly ego will fall away and you will be presented with your yourself in the universal aspect as, as being every, one with everything. And at that point, and that's what they call the awakening, at that point there's nothing left to say. No other, no questions remain. You won't see us. Mm-hmm. You won't be, well you could still come, I mean, and this was the thing, the Sargadatta still does puja every day. Mm. And I asked Bob why he does that, so he waves lights to, all the, to his teacher and incense and stuff worship you know <coughs> Bob said well there's he did it because there were a lot of Indians hanging around 
and, he, and they've all come through that tradition of devotion and a picture of his guru, who he loved. So he loved his guru, but he said that the reason he thought he was doing it was because the Indians wouldn't have taken him seriously if he'd abandoned the um, acknowledgement of his teacher. But, he, but really, he was saying that um, when you're in his state, a lot of this is superfluous. You don't need to do all that anymore because you are everything. And that is your experience, it's not a mental thing. And so it's self-waving lights to self, which is a good way to do it anyway. When you do anything devotional, you have to understand that there is no, nothing other than you, that the, you, the teacher is you as well, as consciousness, or always consciousness. The teacher is, in fact, this is what I like to say, the teacher is not the individual, the teacher is a principle. It's an aspect of consciousness as the act of, rev of revealing. So see if you can get this one. Within consciousness there is this supposed ignorance, that's you where you are now, us. And there also is this supposed uh, act of enlightenment, of passing light, of the re revealing of the truth. And these are aspects of consciousness, that there are those selves that are still ignorant of their true nature, and there are those that are knowing of their true nature, and the act of the teaching, which is essentially what I'm doing here, is that there is a transference of knowledge or ideally of experience. And, but it's not about the individual. It's not this one. You see what I'm saying? It's a principle. It's a, it's a, it's a dynamic of, just like, what's an example you could say? Motherhood is a dynamic. It's a principle. It's not who the mother is and who the child is. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the notion of motherhood. Or what's another one? Um, friendship? Friendship is a principle. Right. It doesn't matter who the friends are. You understand the concept of, of the principle of friendship is that the two people are devoted to each mm. other. Or even um, love in, within a relationship is a principle. It's always relationship. It's not who, whether you change the individuals, the principle still, so if those two people love each other, that's the principle working through them. If those two people love each other, it's the same principle. Changes the faces, but the principle remains. So the act of teaching is really this idea of it's the principle that the, if the uh, seeker approaches the teacher with a yearning for knowledge, then the knowledge will pass. Like a dissenter. Yeah, and in fact, you know, there's a few teachers around that we know that, are, that have, uh, haven't exactly been squeaky clean in their own lives. You know, you read about these things. But the challenge for the student is to dissociate the act of teaching from the individual, that they are not one and the same. And mind gets involved and says, you know, if you had a maths teacher that uh, was an alcoholic and beat their wives, 
it wouldn't invalidate your knowledge of mathematics. Mm. See what I'm saying? So this is where we, we what the Advaitins do, they love to do, is strip away all the trappings, remove the personalities. Bob will say, it's not me. I will say, it, it's not me. It's just that we're here and this is what's happening. Mm. Is that a bit like um, people who, you know, might have made bad choices in their past and then, you know, they get almost like they get socially condemned for it, but it's not necessarily them. Yeah, it's just what happened. Yeah. And maybe they're sorry now. Yeah. And you just got to let that go and just return to the truth. Yeah. What is the truth? Anyway, that's a very, very rough and ready introduction to Advaita. But here's, here's the key. Forget about all the words, and this is what they ask you to do. Yeah, you, you could get that book. It's a great book. I am that. Um, ask yourself, right now in this moment, do I, what is that which exists that I'm aware of? What Am I aware of my existence? Yes. It would be, uh, in fact, the only person that wouldn't be able to answer that possibly is a psychotic, someone in a psychotic state that is in a high state of dissociation. Mm. Or perhaps schizophrenic. When you say, do you exist, they'll say, which one? <laughs> yeah. But, is it? Yeah. So just people that um, are very disassociated, is that why when you look at those people in the eyes, you just like, it's like a bit scary, there's mm. nothing there? Mm. Could be, but mm. then that could just an invasion would say that's just your projection. <laughs> that's mm. that that too is mind. But yeah, I'd say that there are people in certain states where asking the question, "Who am I?" That there is no experiencer. Perhaps I don't know. I'm not an expert in this. But for you guys who are all pretty normal, I assume. <laughs> if I say become aware of the of your of your being right now. You can do that, right? Does it ever leave you, really? I mean, if... Okay, you're not always focusing on it, but are you ever unable to return to that? If you, ha if you, if anyone asked you in 10 minutes or 10 months or 10 years from now, you would still be able to do that. So that's, that is the doorway. That is the key. That is the... That's what you move into and through to get to the point of... What? Acceptance and uh, conviction. Bob says, he goes, it's when you have the conviction that will arise in you that this is who you truly are, is this state of being. That's when the searching ends. And what about people who take, like, drugs and they lose sense of themselves? Is that, does that, is, is that a way to disassociate yourself? Well, it's not getting them to the truth. <coughs> who they are because <coughs> I think that you'd be that's a form of avoidance of the question who am I see some people are very uh, uncomfortable with this idea mm. this is actually a little bit can you see that this could be a bit challenging for people to say to them that you are not your body and your mind yes that you are not everything that you think you are could be like slightly I'm being understating here I mean, for, for someone that has invested their whole life in uh, cultivating a persona, to say that you that is a complete illusion, 
is is hugely threatening and but, people's minds naturally want to reject this but i think the idea of um that your consciousness is always there is that's very comforting i think once you kind of get over it a little bit and then you accept it even though it's still mortifyingly very scary to think about but you're like but something does exist and it's me and that's like once you get past all that and then you get to that it's actually really nice it's very comforting because mm. that can never be taken away from you mm. it, it just about everything else can Mm. But that can't. That's the one thing they can never take from you. Is your and so what and so the plea is to at what point are you ready to accept that this is this is the truth of who you are? When are you ready to embrace that and live in that reality? And once you're in that state, it's what you say in a way we need it. Nothing else really matters. Things will go up and down. They, they, they're saying, look, we're not going to pretend that life isn't, couldn't be hard and might throw stuff at you. But if you stop thinking that you're the victim, mm-hmm. stop identifying with mind-body as victim and start identifying as that state which never changes, then you move beyond all suffering. Nothing can affect you. But I feel like to make that realisation, you kind of have to be ready for it. Definitely. You know, you, you, someone can tell you, tell you that, and you just—it's logically you understand that concept, but it's not resonating with you. So I think it just doesn't happen until you're quite ready. so. And that's the reason why the question, the self-inquiry around "I am that" can never be an intellectual one, mm. because for as long as it's just the mind asking the question, "Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I?" then you're always going to get the mind answering the question. But what this process, this is, not a, this, is, this is not a question as a question, this is a question as a process. See the difference? You, you're taking it much deeper into the core of, of your existence. And then it's like, remember, we, I love using Navy analogies because you guys are part of the group now. But you know when you said a depth charge? They, do they still use depth charges in the Navy? As, oh, an anti, <laughs> as an anti-submarine thing, they do, they? you know what they are anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bomb that's programmed to go off at a certain depth caused by pressure. Mm. So we do that with this question. You set, you prime it, and then you take it deep within, and then you let it go, and then it, and then that's where the the magic will happen. Okay, we're going to meditate now. Any questions on that? You get a little taste of what we're talking about? Years ago I was travelling and I had nothing, no belongings, no left nothing behind in the UK, nothing. I just had a bag. It was so liberating. Yeah. I was really happy. Mm. It's just fantastic. That's you can't live that like that forever because you have to yeah. live somewhere eventually. But Didn't they make a movie called The Infinite Lightness of Being? It was amazing. Mm. Do you remember we saw yeah. that? So that's what we're talking about, the inf- and that's what you just said. You have nothing, nothing. It's the you infinite the lightness of just being. Mm. You don't have to worry about anything. There you, you are. Live in that moment. That, that's what I feel when I travel, because mm. it's like nothing exists. No perception of you is there. No one knows who you are. You don't are. own anything there, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. you can Nobody just knows be. Who you are. It's like, like it. the most amazing feeling ever. Okay, so yeah. what what these guys would say is, you're already halfway there if you understand that principle. Mm-hmm. But what they're inviting you to do is to off- offload a little bit more baggage. Mm. 
the unbearable. All this baggage, like the Thinking. concept of who I am, the concept of other, who other people think I am. Mm. If you could travel without that baggage, mm. you would be even lighter Freer. still. And that's the true liberation. See, and we're not that far away. It's just that the ego doesn't want to let go of that baggage. It's sort of like hoarders, like me, that I've got stuff that they don't want to give away because they, it might come in useful one day. And so I'm carrying all these beliefs, we all are, that are like, they're just baggage. I don't even know why I believe half the stuff I believe, nor do you. It's there from the past. But what these guys are wanting you to do is drop all your beliefs, every single one, all your concepts, all your um, ideas about yeah, everything. And that, that's that's the process. But and like I say, the ego hates that because the ego lives in the realm of I am this limited thing, and it loves this idea of being limited and being separate and, and being an individual and being unique. But the, but the truth is you're not individual at all. You're, you're just part of an ocean of consciousness. And the ego hates that idea. Because who would, it, who would I be then? Who would I be if I can't be Nothing. Peter? Isn't that, what, isn't that what teenagers do? But yeah. who am I? Yeah, who am I? And then I'm getting bullied and who, they're picking on me. Why? And that's the voice of the ego. It's like the, the mm. self can't be picked on. The elf, the self is this, the elf. <laughs> <laughs> the self is the ocean of consciousness. If you could get to every teenager and shake them and say, don't you see, you are infinite. You are none of these things that you think you are. They would immediately be, have none of this trauma that they have to go through. I wish someone did that to me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> The angst of teenage years is all about ego. And what these guys are on about is the complete demolition. They've got a D9 bulldozer and they're driving it through your ego. And the whole structure is disintegrating and you might be kicking and screaming. I mean, make no mistake, this is the fast path, but it's a very hard path, it's a very challenging path. It's not soft and easy like you know, the other stuff that we like to do, which is, you know, our routine and we feel comfortable in that and it's nice and we yeah, we're making progress and we're getting absolutely getting glimpses of all this ultimate infinite reality. But when someone says you are none of that, drop all your practices, drop everything, who can do that? It takes a rare individual. Mm. Certain mind a certain type of person. So you're saying to get to that place, um, you like practically speaking if you want to drop all your ideas and stuff and be liberated <coughs> you have to just be aware of the fact that you are nothing your ego you just have to be aware is that keep returning basically it? keep returning to the question is what yeah. they would say over and over and over and over and over and over in every moment that you who can do I? of it who am i who is this one that mm. feels this where is this feeling coming from is it real this is the, the this is the it is a practice, actually. It is a practice still, isn't it? Mm. But it's a, it's a very stripped down, no frills. Fast track. Fast track. Not for everybody. But, you know, it could be for you. For, for all I know, and this, this happens, people walk into these sessions 
and something goes off in there deep in themselves. That's how Ramana Maharshi got realized in like 10 minutes in his bedroom or an hour or however long he was in there. He went in there and he just asked the question and but he asked it in a way that it went straight into the core of him and in that moment at Eckhart Tolle the same thing happened. I cannot live with myself anymore. Wait a minute. Who is it that is myself? I or that which cannot live? Which one is the true me? And in that moment, his whole world disintegrated and he was catapulted into a superconscious <laughs> state and he never came back. And he was wandering around for two years in a complete state of unable to be sure even who he was until he was able to integrate. Now, the next thing is, once you get to that, you've got to come back and reintegrate so that you can continue to function. So you do have to do that. But you're never, you're never the same one again. It sounds amazing. It is amazing. Read that book. I mean, really, these guys are full on. Go look at some of Bob's videos. They're full on, and it's take no prisoners approach. But it's very... And, and even if you decide that's not going to be your main practice, it's very good to be aware of this, because it is something that will be helpful. We use elements of it, you know, when we talk about... Um, <clears throat> go into the state beyond mind, you're basically experiencing it. But the problem comes, you come back again. Right? Every time you come out of meditation, you're feeling good for a while, mm. and then eventually the ego, the narrative starts again. So basically if you're going through something, or some, like you're really worried, or you, your behaviour kind of isn't... Res- like you kind of just can think... What does it matter? It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. and it's like even though it might sound very like upsetting to think it doesn't matter, but actually, if you just go, nothing matters. I don't like. We're all gonna die. Like it sounds very dramatic, but then it's like you can kind of let go of all those ideas, or mm-hmm. it's kind of liberating. True, but you can't. That will be helpful, but to the, if you could, um, it can't just be an intellectual thing, right? Because otherwise, you might be sublimating just pushing away things that you need to deal with. But what Bob would say, you return to the present awareness. Mm. Keep coming back. And that's why the breath is great. So when we meditate in a minute, breath and mantra are are actually tools that will ground you in present awareness because you can only be breathing in the now. So it's, it's not the, it isn't, the breath isn't the now, but it's the closest thing to the now that you can lock into, other than just remembering the constant return, the remembrance to that state. So if you close your eyes, and we'll meditate right now, but if you close your eyes, and this is how we'll go into meditation, and we'll just go for about, and we're already after four, are we okay for 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what we do is, re- firstly, we start with um, feeling your existence, feeling that you exist. Do you feel that? The immediacy of presence. And do you feel there's power in that? There's a very powerful sort of energy in the awareness of just the pure I am.
Okay, I'll stop the recording now, but we're going to go into a state using the technique that I've given you previously, where we ride this sense deeper and deeper into the state using the breath and the mantra. Or, you know, you might even just try seeing where this feeling will lead you.